Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Mildred and Elsie, Episode 12 Yes, it was joy and gladness just to be alive this sweet spring morning. The swift flowing river gleamed and sparkled in the sunlight. The forest trees on the farther side were touched with a tender yellow-green. The grass along the wayside and in the dooryards was of a deeper, richer hue, and sprangled thickly with violets and dandelions, and the peach and cherry trees in the gardens were in full bloom. The air was filled with fragrance and with the twittering of birds, the ripple of the water and other pleasant rural sounds. The music of glad young voices came pleasantly to Mildred's ear as she reached her father's gate, and Fan and Annis, who had been stooping over the flower beds, came bounding to meet her with a joyous greeting. How's mother? was her first question. Well, she's downstairs in the sitting room cutting out sewing work. Yes, she's sure to be busy, Mildred said, hurrying into the house, bidding good morning as she passed to Ada, who was sweeping the front porch. Everyone was busy with a cheerful, energetic activity. Zilla preparing breakfast while Celestia Ann put out her clothes to dry. Rupert milked the cow, and the younger boys fed the chickens. Mother, so early at work after your sickness yesterday, Mildred said in a tone of affectionate remonstrance as she entered the sitting room. Yes, daughter dear, there is need, and I am quite able for it, Mrs. Keith answered, looking up with a cheery smile. And you are not looking so worn and jaded as I feared to see you. Did you get some sleep, and how is the poor sick woman? Yes, ma'am, I slept several hours, and am feeling pretty well. Mrs. Martin died about half an hour ago, very suddenly, at the last. Claudina was with her. I was asleep. Mildred's eyes filled, and her voice was husky with emotion as she told of the solemn event. A silent shake of the head was the only answer she could give to her mother's next question, whether the dying woman had given any evidence that she was putting her trust in Christ. A look of sadness and pain came over the face of the Christian mother, also while her heart sent up a silent, fervent prayer on behalf of her dear ones, that each of them might be found hidden in the rock of ages. My dear child, she said to Mildred, let us look upon this sad event as a solemn warning to us to be more faithful and constant in the work of striving to win souls to Christ. Remembering that the night cometh when no man can work, ah, can I be sure that I am utterly guiltless of the blood of this woman to whom I never spoke one word of warning or entreaty? Mother, don't blame yourself, cried Mildred in almost indignant surprise. You had not even a speaking acquaintance with her. But, my dear, I might have had. I could easily have found some excuse for calling upon her in her sickness, had I not allowed myself to be too much taken up with other cares and duties. But you can't do everything and take care of everybody, said Mildred with affectionate warmth, and you are always at some good and useful work. It is I who ought to take the lesson to heart, and God helping me I will, she added in low, earnest, trembling tones. 
Oh, mother, I feel this morning that the things of this world are as nothing compared with those of the next, and I want to show by my life that I do feel so. I want to spend it wholly in the Master's service, particularly in winning souls, for, oh, the awful thought of one being lost, that these were no idle, lightly spoken words, were proven as days, weeks, and months rolled on, by the ever-growing consistency of Mildred's daily walk and conversation, her constant effort to bring her daily life into conformity to the divine precept, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God, and that other, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. The members of the home circle were the first to feel the change in Mildred. She could hardly have made herself more helpful than she had long been, but her cheerfulness was more uniform, and the younger ones found her more patient with their shortcomings, more ready with sympathy and help in their little trials and perplexities. They soon learned to carry them to her as readily as to their best and kindest of mothers. They thought their eldest sister very wise and liked to consult her about their plans. This gave her many an opportunity to influence them for good, and very rarely was it neglected. Spring was a very busy season with them all, with indoors house cleaning and a vast amount of sewing, so many new garments to be made, so many old ones to be renovated and altered to suit the increased stature of the growing lads and lasses. Outside the gardening, the making everything neat and trim, and the care of the poultry, lessons were intermitted for two or three weeks to give the older members of the family time for their uh, unusual labors, while the children reveled in the delights of digging, planting, sowing, looking after their sitting hens, and tending their broods of little chicks. There was a great deal of heartfelt pleasure gotten out of the little plots of ground appropriated in several tea to Cyril, Don, Fan, and Annis and hardly less from their fowls. Besides, the young owners were learning habits of industry and thrift, also the enjoyment of being able to give to the Lord's cause of that which had cost them something. A beggar was a thing almost unknown in the town, and there were very few people poor enough to be objects of charity, but it was nice, the children thought, to have something of their very own to put into the church or Sunday school collection, especially when it was to go to buy Bibles and pay for sending missionaries to the poor, benighted heathen. The cause of missions was dear to the hearts of the parents, and they were training their children to love and work for it. Rupert was the principal gardener and managed manager of outdoor matters. He had full charge of the fruit and vegetable garden on his father's ground, and it flourished under his care. But not content with that, he had his own lot and Mildred's, which he undertook to cultivate upon shares plowed up, then sowed them with corn, potatoes, and melons. He had his mother's talent for system and making the best use of every spare moment, an early riser, industrious, energetic, and painstaking. He managed to do all this without neglecting the studies in preparation for college, which he was still pursuing with Mr. Lord. He even found time for setting out trees, 
and shrubs, and digging up the flower beds in the front and side yards, doing all the hard work needed there, then giving them into the care of his mother and the older girls, who contrived to spare to the pleasing task of occasional half-hour morning and evening, finding it a rest from almost constant toil with the needle. Cheerfully busy as Mildred was from morning to night, Charlie was seldom absent from her thoughts. She followed him in imagination through all his wanderings, the unbidden tears often springing to her eyes as she dwelt upon the loneliness and hardships he was doubtless called to endure. Her only comfort that she might constantly plead for him with that almighty friend who knew it all, and was ever near to both herself and her loved one. She hoped, she prayed, that Charlie might be restored to her with their barrier to their union removed, but most of all that whether she should ever see him again on earth or not, he might inherit eternal life. Her father and mother, Rupert and Zilla, were the only members of the family who knew anything of the matter. The others never so much as suspected that their bright, kind, helpful, sympathizing sister Millie was burdened with a secret sorrow or care. Nor did she make a confidant of Claudina Chetwood, Lou Grange, or Effie Prescott, though on friendly terms with all three. Effie's health had improved since the Keats first made her acquaintance. But she was still feeble, and often ailing. She was a girl of fine mind, very fond of reading, and very thankful to these good neighbors for their kindness in lending her books and periodicals. And she greatly enjoyed a chat with Mrs. Keith or Mildred, for which the borrowing and returning afforded frequent occasion. She came in one morning while they were hard at work over the pile of spring sewing. "'Good morning, ladies. Don't let me disturb you,' she said, as Zilla dropped her work and rose hastily to hand a chair. "'I see you are very busy, and I came to ask if you would let me help. I should enjoy spending the morning chatting with you all, and might just as well work while I talk, and I have brought my thimble, taking it from her pocket as she spoke. "'That is very a very kind offer, Miss Sethy, and we will be glad to have you. "'Take yon easier chair and chat with us as long as you will,' Mrs. Keith said, with her pleasant smile. "'But that, I think, will be quite sufficient exertion after your walk.' "'Yes, indeed, you must get quite enough of sewing at home,' said Zilla. "'It takes so many, many stitches to make even one garment, "'and such lots of garments to clothe a family at all respectably.' Yes, answered Effie in a sprightly tone, but I am fond of my needle, and can use it a good deal without injury. Mildred, I see you are working buttonholes, my especial pride and delight. Won't you hand that waist to me, and find something else to occupy your fingers? Do you like to make them? asked Mildred in a tone of genuine surprise. It is my perfect detestation. Therefore I find myself sorely tempted to accept your generous offer. Before Mildred's sentence was completed, the work had exchanged hands, Effie taking playfully forcible possession. "'My dear girl, you have a real genius for the business,' Mildred exclaimed presently. "'How rapidly and nicely you work them! Two done in less time than I should take for one, without doing it half so well!' Effie's eyes sparkled. "'Generous praise, Mildred,' she said. "'But you can well afford to allow me the credit of doing one little thing better than you do it.' 
I dare say there may be many others in which you excel me. No, I don't believe there's any other. And oh, when I heard you play the piano, I feel as if I'd give anything in the world if I could play even half as well. Would you like to take lessons? Shouldn't I, cried Effie with emphasis. But dear me, there's no use thinking of it, as I'm not likely ever to have the chance. I'd rather give a music lesson any day than work buttonholes, remarked Mildred laughingly. And oh, the quantities of them to be made in this family. Effie, why shouldn't we exchange work occasionally? An hour of instruction on the piano for an hour sewing. Don't you think it would do, Mother? Capitally, if you are mutually satisfied. Effie's face was sparkling with delight. Oh, do you really mean it? she cried. Why, I'd gladly give two hours sewing for one of music lesson, and I'm sure it would be worth it. No, said Mildred, I think not, considering what a swift and neat needlewoman you are. Not much worldly wisdom in either of you, I think, my dear girls, remarked Mrs. Keith with an amused smile. But there's a difficulty I had not thought of, said Effie. I have no piano to practice on. You shall have the use of mine. Thank you. I gladly accept your kind offer, if I may pay for that also with my needle. Effie spent the day with her friends, and before leaving had come to an arrangement with Mildred perfectly satisfactory to both, and taken her first lesson. Just at its close, before the two had left the piano, Claudina and Lou came in, and hearing what Mildred had undertaken, earnestly begged that she would add them to her class. Father is very anxious for me to learn, said Claudina, and was wondering the other day if it would do to ask you to take me as a scholar. He said you could set at your own price. He'd willingly pay it, but as you have no need to make money for yourself, he was afraid to propose it. Now, Milly, dear, would you be offended? Of course we should feel that you were doing us a favor, even though you let us pay for it. No, I don't feel at all offended, Mildred said, laughing and blushing, and I'd be glad to do anything in my power to gratify you girls, or, or your fathers, but I really haven't time. Then I suppose we'll have to give it up, remarked Lou with a sigh, but I do wish this town could afford a music teacher, for I've set my heart on learning to play. When spring house cleaning and sewing are done, you won't be so very busy, Millie, suggested Claudina. Yes, very nearly, if not quite as busy as now, for then I take up my governess scene again. You're the best sister and daughter I ever heard of, was Claudina's comment. Tea was just over, and Mrs. Keith stepped out to the kitchen for a consultation Anne on the all-important subject of the morrow's breakfast and dinner. Returning to the sitting room, she found her three girls again plying their needles. Come, come, my dears, no more work tonight, she said. You, Zilla, and Ada may help me set everything to rights here, so that we can go on promptly in the morning. And Mildred Child, if you are not too tired, let your father have some music. It is restful and cheering to him after his day's work and weary at the office. I'm never too tired to play for father or mother, Mildred said with a smile as she rose to do her mother's bidding. There, don't wait to fold that. I'll do it, Zilla said, and taking the work from her hand. And mother, please go into the parlor and rest yourself in the big rocking chair and leave this clearing up to Ada and me. Yes, mother, please do, chimed in the younger girl. We'd a great deal rather, and you know we can just as well as not. Thank you, dears, then I will. What comforts and blessings you are to me, all three of you. Me too, mother, me and Than, asked little Annis following and standing beside her mother's chair with eager upturned face and pleading eyes. 
Yes, indeed, darling, mother wouldn't know how to do without her baby girl or her dear little fan, Mrs. Keith answered, lifting the one into her lap and drawing the other close to her side, for fan, too, had followed her in from the sitting room. I'm not of much use yet, mother, except to love you, she said, nestling closer, but I'm going to be some day if I live. See, I've hemmed one side of this handkerchief, and didn't I make nice bits of stitches, she asked, holding it up for inspection. Yes, indeed, darling, I can see that you have taken great pains. Why, I think after a while I shall have no need to sew at all, with so many other fingers to do the work. Go and show it to father. Fan obeyed, was praised, caressed, and taken upon her father's knee, where she sat in quiet content, listening to Mildred's music. Presently, Squire Chetwood was ushered in by Celestia Ann. "'Go on, Miss Mildred,' he said as he took the seat Mr. Keith hastened to offer. "'There's no greater treat for me than your music, and my errand will keep for a bit.' It proved, when told, one that rejoiced them all. It was to show to Mr. Keith a letter of acceptance from a gentleman teacher, with whom they had been corresponding with a view to securing his services as principal of a school which they were trying to establish in the town. It was to be for both sexes, and the gentleman's wife would take charge of the girls' department. "'I sent four pupils, Zilla, Ada, Cyril, and Don,' said Mr. Keith thereby considerably lightening your labor's wife and Mildred's, I trust. The square cleared his throat. And then, Miss Mildred, ah, I heard, dare go on lest you should think me presuming. But after exciting my curiosity, you can hardly refuse to gratify it, Mildred returned playfully, though she knew very well what was coming. Before the square went away, she had consented to take another music scholar, and the terms he offered were very liberal she having declined to name a price for her services. Having accepted Claudina, you can hardly refuse Lou, her mother remarked when the square had gone. No, mother, and how little time I shall have left for helping you, sighed Mildred. Now, Milly, don't try to make yourself of so much importance, cried Zilla in a happy, bantering tone. Didn't mother do without you entirely last year? One would suppose Ada and I were of no consequence where work is concerned. But you will be in school, child, not for the first four hours after we leave our beds in the morning, or the last four or five before we return to them at night. Beside an hour or more at noon, added Ada, and if we can't do something to help mother in all that time, we'll deserve to be called lazy girls. We shall do nicely, I'm sure, the mother said, with a pleased, loving glance at each of the three faces in turn. I think we can manage so that everything will be attended to, and no one of us overlooked. I can easily hear Fan's and Annis's little lessons every day while sewing. Your five music scholars, Mildred, will occupy only ten hours a week of your time, while one of them will do an hour's sewing for you every day, and the other two outsiders bring you a nice little sum of pocket money. Why, it doesn't look so very laborious after all, Mildred said, brightening. No, laughed Silly, you could take half a dozen more music scholars and not be hurt. Thank you for listening to another episode of Agersoft Story Classic.